This is Season 5 of Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy. Listen, laugh, and learn. This week on the show, cars, fashion, and history. Plus, we'll open up the mailbag and, of course, your favorite news from around the world. Totally useless information. It's everything you never needed to know. Welcome to season number five, episode one. This is totally useless vehicle information with Nick, Meet me and Roy. <laughs> vroom, vroom. And now with vroom, vroom, here's Roy. Hey, Formula One race cars. Now, they're super fast. I've actually seen uh, Formula One races. But they can produce 3.5 G when they're accelerating in a turn. So while cornering, 3.5 Gs. That's enough force that if they were in a tube or a tunnel, let's say they were in the Holland Tunnel in New York, they could literally drive on the ceiling and stay there. Now, some people in New York drive that way. It has nothing to do with G-force. Yes, exactly. (laughs) They just didn't pay the toll. You pay the toll, you use a roadway. You don't pay the toll, you drive on the ceiling. Yep. Just like Lionel Richie years ago in the 80s, I think it was, is dancing on the ceiling. It's driving on the ceiling. Yeah, we're driving on the ceiling. Uh, this is how this is how much of a genius I am. I didn't even think of doing a segue, but here's a segue. Speaking of listening to music on the car radio, ah. <laughs> the car radio, the most popular place to listen to the radio is in your car. Believe it or not, Paul and Joseph Galvin of Mansfield, Wisconsin, invented the car radio while on a double date. One of the women commented, and what was missing was uh, some music to make the romantic night uh, last a little bit longer. Yeah, sure, but of course, car radios were not around then. So this, this. So wait, is what... let me let me get this straight. Yeah. So basically, you had a car full of swingers. Yeah, and foggy and, and fogged up windows and nothing to listen to. So it wasn't just the first radio. It was probably the first swinger party as well. <laughs> and two brothers were involved, too. Kinky. Ooh, now yeah. That's really kinky. Now, yeah, there you go. Talking about turning people's knobs. Um, the oh, brothers. Brother. <laughs> the old brother. No. Yeah. <laughs> That's not my knob. The brothers are working on what they call travel radios, but they needed large batteries and large pockets. $250 in that day, around 1930. That's $4,000 in today's dollars. Could you imagine? A car radio. Wow. So by June 1930, they were working with inventors William Lear of Learjet hmm. and also the developer of the 8-track, believe it or not. For those of you whole fogies out there who remember the 8-track. Like Nick. Right. <laughs> 60. So, oh, you have more? Yeah, so this is what this, this is the company that they formed, the Motorola Company. Motor for motor vehicle and Ola for Victrola, which was a dominant brand ah, of gramophone back then. Did, did, did you write that one down, folks? No, no. Motorola. Yeah, Motorola. And finally, Paul drove his Studebaker with his newfound invention 1,300 kilometers to the annual meeting of the Radio Manufacturers Association of Atlantic City. He then parked outside with his car radio blaring, and guess what? An encouraging number of orders rolled in for the car radio happened after that. Wow. Okay, cool. Very cool. For those of you wondering, we're charging admission to the Radio <laughs> Hall of Fame. <laughs> 60 million cars are produced every year. 
60 million. Now think about that. Mm -hmm. That's one. I did the math. It's 165 cars a day. 687 car wait 6875 cars an hour okay and yeah. in the time it took for nick to tell us the history of radio <laughs> 115 cars were produced <laughs> of which 115 car radios needed to be installed there you go <laughs> <laughs> There's method to his madness. There is a madness, no, yes. There's just madness. There's just madness, yes. So while you're driving along, you need some breaks, but thanks to Vincent Hugo Bendix, mm, he started Bendix, a, Bendix drum That's right. Ooh. He began as an elevator operator in a hospital, then moved to the maintenance department. He got around, and he, ta he was taught the basics of electricity. Within a couple of years, he went from the accounting office and finally an engineer, so he's going places. He specialized in automobile engine design and eventually worked on motorcycles, hmm. where he learned all about internal combustion. By 1907... I learned about that when I started eating baked beans. <laughs> that's right. That's compulsion. That's right. Go ahead, Nick. That's, I'm that, sorry. That's I the compulsion. You. Yeah. Who's making the story longer now? Back to the break hall of fame. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to put a handbrake on this topic. So Bendix has designed his own car. He called it the Bendix Motor Buggy. 7,000 of these machines were built before they declared bankruptcy. So he needed to make some money. <laughs> That's right. So he he broke a little too hard. So he needed to make money. So he was selling cars. He was it, literally broke. He was. Ahead. He bro broken up. <laughs> so he was selling uh, Cadillacs in in Chicago in 1909, and he struck gold one night. He he patented what would become the Bendix Drive, which would eliminate the hand cranking of the automobile engine. Oh. And so, so by he the end, invented the starter. Pretty much, yeah. And by the end of the decade, the Bendix starter became a standard in all cars produced in the United States, 1.5 million vehicles. Bendix. Oh, wow. That's a big deal. Yep. Because, I mean, to crank a car was crazy. Yeah, and the cranks who were driving the car. Exactly. Rolls-Royce is an iconic car brand, correct? I mean, probably the epitome of what you would consider the most expensive luxury car is like a Rolls Royce, right? And Grey Poupon Mustard. Exactly. Exactly. In the backseat. But did you know this? Of all the Rolls Royces ever produced, 75% of them are still running and still on the road today. Wow. Freaky. Think about that. They're one of the oldest car producers and 75%, seven and a half out of 10 are still on the road today. Talk about amazing segues. Now, as we remind our audience, Roy and I always discuss what topics we're going to discuss. We never, ever tell each other what the facts are. So it's I don't have exactly what you have, but coming up in my next in, in the car section, in the next, you know, I'll do it here. What the heck? The top five cars with the highest mileage ever recorded. Ah. See? Number five, 1963 Volkswagen Beetle, 1.6 million miles. Number four is the 1963 Plymouth Fury at 1.62 million miles. 
Oh, wow. It was used as a taxi in Montreal with over 800,000 passengers across the city. It almost broke the Guinness Book of World Records, but unfortunately, the car was in an accident and was totaled. Oh, man. <laughs> so what a way to go. That was bad luck. Man. Number three of the top five cars, the highest mileage ever recorded, was the 1979 Volvo 245GL at $1.63 million. Number two, the 1976 Mercedes-Benz 240D at 2.85 million miles. That's not fair, though. That's a diesel, but go ahead. Okay, but it was owned by another taxi driver, a Greek taxi driver, and I think his name was George. Probably. Yeah. And and he reached that record in 2000. He was like, what? It takes what? Diesel fuel? <laughs> I've been putting feta cheese in there. That's right. And tzatziki. That's I've been right. putting olive oil and tzatziki sauce inside. <laughs> yeah, you're in a pickle. Mercedes recognized this feat and gave the taxi driver a brand new C-Class for his taxi duties in exchange for putting that 240D into Mercedes Museum as it was the longest-running car in the company's history. Needless to say, the new one broke down. Yes. <laughs> and finally, the number one car with the highest mileage ever recorded was a 1966 Volvo P1800, 3.25 million miles. Oh, my God. When, when I worked for Volvo, when I worked for Volvo, there was a guy that came in with, like, 700,000 miles on nothing. his car. Nothing. It's cheap. It's nothing. Irv Gordon owned this vehicle, and he said he closely followed the manufacturer's guidelines, kept his car clean, and gave it regular oil changes. By the way, 3.25 million miles is roughly 130 times around the world. Wow, and that was so long that I feel like I traveled with them. <laughs> <laughs> These are important. This is useless information that you never needed to know. That's what we do here on Totally I'll, Useless Information yeah, with I'll Nick and Roy. get right to yeah. the point. Yes. I'll get right to the point. Number one, nickandroy.com, nickandroy.com. That's the point. No, that's, it. that's all you need. I'll get right to the point. Yes. In Sweden, the land of hot-looking women yes. and ridiculous laws. Get ready, man. Here we go. There was a man speeding at 180 miles an hour, so clearly he was driving something cool. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> In Sweden, the fines for speeding... <laughs> These people are so nuts. They're proportionate to the amount that someone earns in their paycheck. No. Yes. So this man was so rich that his fine was 1 million euro. Wow. He figured the speed versus his earnings. It was 1 million euro. <laughs> Wow. See? The Swedes are nuts. Speed. Nuts. See what they say? Speed kills your wallet. You better believe it. You're listening to Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy. Welcome to the Totally Useless Information Fashion Show. Thank you for joining us. Here we are in season number five. Can you believe it? Season number five. Can't and believe we, it went this fast. It did. And it just as fast as some of those cars. That guy that was uh, charged a million euros. But For all the ladies out there, before we even start, Nick and I know nothing about fashion. Nothing at all. <laughs> exactly, which is why we rely I'm on you. I'm in a T-shirt now, the, yeah. the, a red T-shirt, and Nick is in, in a, a, a pale polo-style shirt. Yeah, pale, it's like pale green that was swag from an event that I emceed once. 
not pale green. It looks like a pale. But go ahead. That's right. <laughs> Elvis has left the suit behind. The majority of Elvis's jumpsuits, because you know he wore a lot of jumpsuits. Oh, my God. Can you imagine what they're worth? The ones they were made? made from the same material as ice skaters' costumes. Oh. When asked about Elvis's most expensive and heaviest at 75 pounds jumpsuit, the designer, Bill Ballou, answered the American Eagle, which at the time cost approximately $65,000. For this, the one outfit? For the one outfit. To make the same suit today would cost four times that. It was worth it because Elvis wore this jumpsuit for the 1973 Aloha from Hawaii television broadcast via satellite, which was viewed by over a billion people across 40 countries. And the American Eagle's jumpsuit, also known as the Aloha jumpsuit, came to be one of Elvis's most known stage outfits. That is crazy, though. 65000 back then. Yeah. Four times. It'll, be, it'll cost you four times more today. As the clothing guy said, that's a lot of that's a lot of shekels. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of sequins. That's a lot of Dorothy Hamill uh, triple lutzes. Because remember, the uh, the material was made from the the same material that ice skaters' costumes were made. That's a rhinestone cowboy. <laughs> okay, here's <laughs> here's something crazy. Yeah, we spoke about the Swedes. Their crazy laws. Well, their traditions are just as stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and now we'll use this information and commentary. Here's Roy. For those of you from Sweden, it's nickandroy.com. You can email us. That's right. And listen to more shows. Hey, hold on, but Sweden also brought us ABBA. That's true. And that's another stupid thing, but we'll get to that <laughs> in the music section. Yes. An old Icelandic tradition says, now this is a Swedish tradition as well, that if you listen to this, I love this. You'll be eaten by the Yule cat if you don't receive new clothing on Christmas Day. Being that this is fashion, it has to do with clothing. Yes. So if you don't receive new clothing on Christmas Day, you'll be eaten by the Yule cat. <laughs> now, this they do to scare the little children into liking clothes. Remember Christmas time? You'd open it up. If it was closed. You just threw it to the side, threw it to the side. Then you got to the toy and you freaked out. Well, before that, though, you'd shake the box. And if it rattled, it was probably a toy. If it didn't rattle, it was clothes. Right. And sometimes if it rattled a lot, they probably wrapped the Yule cat up in a box. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're and shaking it's like, nah, nah. oh, it's a toy cat. Yeah, you'll get eaten by the Yule cat. <laughs> you'll get eaten. <laughs> <That's kids. right. laughs> what a way to scare the living hell out of the kids for Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Merry freaking Christmas to you, too. Crazy. If it wasn't for Elky Summer. No, yeah. <laughs> Elke, wow, they could go way back. Uh, the turtleneck was Bendix first. Bendix breaks. And Bendix breaks. <laughs> the turtleneck was first conceived during the Middle Ages when knights suffered severe chafing as a result of wearing chainmail. Not receiving chainmail, but wearing it. Chainmail is the protective material that knights wear as part of their suit of armor. Made from small circles of metal, chainmail defends them from uh, slashing swords. And chainmail is also flexible mesh material. And if you've ever gone to a, a, a butcher and you notice that he's wearing a glove that's very similar to the chainmail so that he doesn't cut himself while he's cutting your porterhouse steak. Went to a proctologist once that oh, no. like that, but that's another story. <laughs> so because of this metal fabric, it was not only uncomfortable, but it prevented them from being able to turn their heads quickly in battle. 
So as a result, the garment that would protect the neck and torso from rough and heavy metal, the turtleneck. Oh, cool. Until 20 years ago, the average woman's breast size was 34B. Trust me, I measured it. Wait a minute. We're doing fa- <laughs> we're doing fashion here, right? We're doing fashion. Is that it's correct? amazing how I can measure things with my hands. Yeah. But- <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And you have small hands. So the uh, the breast size of the average woman was 34B. Mm-hmm. But because of and thank God for plastic surgeons. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Now the average breast size of a woman is 36C. They believe it's also has to do with uh, genetics now and so on. But 36C is now the average normal size. Okay. So th- it has gone up. What is that? Two. And I guess like you'd consider the C a half a size. So two and a half sizes over the last 20 years. Something else has gone up too. Men needing glasses for nearsightedness. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> She's probably looking at all them yeah. breasts. <laughs> Which is why you had trouble reading that that fact here, right? There you go. Exactly. I couldn't see a damn thing. You that's saw right. me straining? That that's yeah, that's why you, you see with your hands, apparently. Well, I had to get abreast of the subject. But to, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> to all the ladies out there who want to complain, the web- website to send an email is nickandroy.com. Attention, Roy. <laughs> the human bra fitter. Eyeliner fit for a king. Egypt's boy king tut had the finest cosmetics and perfumes available, because I guess he stunk. Uh, His portraits Mm. show him wearing the striking eye makeup common to this time and place. So the eyeliner defines his eyes and his eyebrows as they're often extended. King Tut. Oh, cool. The mini dress was named by its designer. Walt Disney. No, no, come on. Not that mini. English clothing designer Mary Quant. Like I knew that. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you did. (laughs) I actually did. I wrote this. Yeah. She named it not after the clothing, not because it was short. She named it after her favorite car, the Mini. Oh. She had a a Mini Cooper. In right. England, and she named it after her favorite car. So she called it the mini skirt, like her car. So if she had a Studebaker, she'd call it the Studi, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Or the Baker. That's right. <laughs> and the candlestick and, and the candlestick maker too, right? Might might as well. What the heck? Isn't it man? funny how if you called it the baker, they'd be like, Hey, I can almost see our buns. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So if you notice on men's jackets, there are buttons along the sleeves. Coats and buttons on sleeves were invented in the past when clothing was constantly worn with its sleeves open. It was good old Napoleon Bonaparte invented where he invented the, the metallic buttons on sleeves in order to make his soldiers use a handkerchief to wipe their faces and nose because they would simply wipe their noses and faces with the arms of the sleeves. Napoleon <laughs> came up with the idea of putting the buttons on the sleeves. Whenever the soldiers would wipe their faces, they would get a scratch on their faces. There is a, there is a belief that Napoleon was forced to do this because the concern was that boys, usually young recruits and men, they cried a lot because they were at war and used to wipe their tears with their sleeves. So the buttons were sewn to make it difficult for them because they weren't having enough of a hard time to begin with. So might as well make it more difficult and scratch their faces with these uh, these buttons. Good. 
Good crybabies. There's no use for them in this man's army. Thus, they became double jointed and wiped their tears with their legs. That's right. (laughs) When Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong went to the moon, or did they? Allegedly. (laughs) That's a different podcast altogether. (laughs) Their spacesuits were made by, get ready, the bra makeup Playtex. Wow. Yes. Playtex was commissioned by NASA to make their outfits. Buzz complained that it fit too tight, but he wasn't going to go up a size. And Neil said, I have no bag or no shoes to wear with this. And who wears white after September? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I don't know if they actually said that, but I feel they did. Those were part of the lost tapes of the Apollo mission. In the lost 19- Apollo tapes. That's right. The lost <laughs> Apollo tapes. I think one day they will commission Roy and I to to do like the the lost tapes. What really happened on the moon? Yeah, they they, they also there's also the tape of them going fly me to the moon. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, because it was Playtex spacesuit, it was uh, comfortable and beautiful. Exactly. And you ever noticed the camera where it was positioned on their chest? It was. To cover their cleavage. There you go. (laughs) You're listening to Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy. Uh, Nick, Nick or Roy, not Roro. <laughs> you know what happened? The tape slowed down as it was playing. What happened was that bottle of Jack Daniels I can see in the background <laughs> looks a bit empty. Wow, you're, you're blowing my mind today. Speaking of Jack Daniels, Frank Sinatra liked his Jack Daniels he on did. three rocks with a splash of water. In 1955, eight years after his first sip in 1947, allegedly, the legend had it that the singer took his glass on stage and said, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jack Daniels and it's the nectar of the gods. This elevated the brand from small town fame to household name. Old Blue Eyes Frank Sinatra became the whiskey's first unofficial brand ambassador up until his death in 1998. He was buried with a bottle of Jack, a pack of cigarettes, a lighter, and 10 dimes. And by the way, a in new... In case he wanted to make a phone call? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he needed all 10 dimes in today's uh, uh, phone uh, phone booth, if you can find a phone booth. A new 90-proof whiskey was later named in his honor called Sinatra Select, and it's still available today. The musician was the first person that was not a Jack Daniels employee or relative to have his name on a bottle. Let me tell you something. I was just in Nashville, as yeah. you know. Yes. And there are so many different bourbons. And, and one one show, I'll discuss the difference between bourbon and, and uh, Jack Daniels. Jack Daniels is sour mash whiskey, which is a type of bourbon, but it is different. So. Right. This just in from Boston. Yes. Did you know the Salem Witch Trials? You've heard of that. Oh, yeah, we have, absolutely. Everybody has, and the vision of the Boston people with pitchforks taking the witches and putting them on the stake and then burning them at the stake, right? Yeah. There were 2,000 witches put on trial, of which none of them were burnt at the stake. Oh. It is a false image that was made up 
and they were never burned at the stake. In fact, most of them just went to jail for a limited amount of time until they said, I want to get out of jail. I'm not a witch. At which case they said, okay, go home now and bake some bread <laughs> okay, so, yeah. and put on this mini skirt while you're doing it. But anyway, that's my vision of it. That, right. <laughs> that was a so, skirt steak. That was a skirt steak. There was only a few of them were, were put to death and those women were hung, but they were not burnt at the stake. Were they well hung? They were well hung. They were not burnt at the stake. They liked theirs medium rare. Right. I was going to say, usually when I barbecue, the steak is usually burnt. Time for a Tums on the Titanic. Ooh. Oh, jeez. 1,500 Ooh, miles away, and I just felt that. Two to you, too. I got to disinfect the microphones now. Oh. The Titanic sank on April 14, 1912, as we all remember. On the Titanic, there was enough food for 2,200 people of what, they, what should have been, of course, a week-long voyage. They loaded 75,000 pounds of meat, 11,000 pounds of fresh fish, 40 tons of potatoes, 40,000 eggs, seven heads of lettuce, 10,000 pounds of sugar, 250 barrels of flour, 36,000 apples, 1,500 gallons of milk, and 15,000 bottles of ale. No wonder the damn thing sunk. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly. Had, Had they thrown that crap overboard, they probably would have lasted a few more hours. Exactly. Exactly. The, never mind the, the iceberg. The iceberg had nothing to do with it. Wow. The tug of war. The tug of war was an Olympic sport. And I think we spoke about that. Yeah, it was. Yeah. But that was in the original times of the Greek games. Right. When they were naked playing the tug of war or oh, something. Yeah. Discussed, yeah. Which to me sounds scary if you got a rope burn, if you know what I mean. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But did you know that between 1900 and 1920, which again is relatively close in time, mm -hmm. that the, and believe me when I tell you, it's 1900 and 1920 in five Olympic games, and I'm not pulling your chain. <laughs> <laughs> in five games, Britain won five medals, and the U.S. won three medals. So only two countries won medals in the tug of war five different games from 1900 to 1920 the other countries were too muddy for us to get a comment from <laughs> <laughs> he was a mutter can you imagine how dominant the united states and england were they they won all the medals so, they did and then they got rid of it because people probably said we're not even going to do this you know now speaking of the olympics in 1936 during the berlin olympics in 1936 hitler was uh, in attendance Yes. Well, footage has now emerged of a moment, of the moment, when an American woman kissed Adolf Hitler and left the Fuhrer, well, furious, and so angry that he fired a security staff for failing to stop her. Carla DeVries from Norwalk, California, asked the Fuhrer for an autograph and managed to give him a quick kiss while he sat at these Olympic Games. Hitler looked less impressed with the 40-year-old's efforts and managed to pull away from one kiss before she managed on her second attempt to kiss him on the cheek. So he fired his security staff, and they were never seen again. Wow, and they wrote a song about it. Oh, yes, it's Carla DeFreeze. 
<laughs> yeah, they later changed to they call me the breeze. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> they gave him the breeze. Yeah, the Fuhrer was furious. Did you see what I did? Oh there? my God! Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I, I'm, I'm trying to forget it. But... <laughs> <laughs> Gee, thanks. You're listening to Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy at nickandroy.com. If you go there, you can leave us an email, and you can also listen to shows and see all kinds of cool stuff, pictures of us. Yeah. Young pictures of that, us. That you'd want to kiss not once but twice. Yeah, there you go. When dead people get mad at you and fire the entire staff. <laughs> okay, during the Roman times, yes. gladiators were considered celebrities. In fact, it's very, very similar to the time now where children were playing with little clay figures of them, like children play with Figures of of wrestlers and sports stars and so action on. figures, yeah, yes, action figures. That was there, action figures. Thank you, Nick. I was just about to say that. <laughs> That's right. As you as you can tell, we don't we don't rehearse this show. We okay. finish each other's sentences and pancakes when applicable. <laughs> oh my god! But this one's crazy. Okay, this 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 fact is crazy. Because the gladiators were so famous that women would run up to them with little bottles and try and collect their sweat off their body, which they would then run home and put it into their skin care or their skin lotion products because they believed it was an aphrodisiac that the gladiators sweat was a natural aphrodisiac. That really wouldn't have gone over big with me. It's like you collected the sweat of this like muscular guy's body mm. to what? To get me excited. Ain't working. Nope. <laughs> no, thanks. Hey, here's a secret hiding place. In 2009, by the way, a woman visited the Museum of Confederacy in Richmond, Virginia with an acorn-shaped object in her hand. It was made of brass and had no inscriptions or markings. She said that according to her family's lore, one of her ancestors, a Confederate soldier, used a device to smuggle secret messages, hiding it in his posterior until he reached his destination. (laughs) Museum officials were intrigued by what she called the rectal acorn, but she declined to donate it. No, thanks. No, I mean, exactly. Who wanted to examine that? Right. I'll take your word for it. Right? So he used Hmm. his device. Did he paint it brown? (laughs) (laughs) They they didn't give it the lady's name. I think her name was Mary Brown. Go figure. Mary Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is this a piece of corn? (laughs) From the Middle Ages. From from Confederacy. Yeah. Jimmy crack corn and that okay. okay. <laughs> the, re- the rectal acorn. Hey, now available. At- smuggle corn and I don't care. <laughs> now available at your local sex shop. The rectal acorn. Wow. Speaking of Confederate times, great segue. Yeah. Abe Lincoln, if you listen to our show, which you should, because yeah. you'll get smarter. Abe Lincoln, we all know, was a wrestler. He was like a professional wrestler of his time. He had a fantastic record as well. Yeah. But did you know this? And most people will say no. He was a licensed, licensed bartender. Oh. Not only was he a licensed bartender, he opened up a bar, which he ran and worked at, called 
Berry and Lincoln's Berry, B-E-R-B-E-R-R-Y, Berry and Lincoln's in Salem, Illinois. He had to close it subsequently when his partner, William Berry, he was a raging alcoholic and drank most of the profits. Well, that's not but they did lose the business to bankruptcy. And um, that was a very short-lived career for um, President Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Of course, because it was Abe Lincoln who owned the bar, the drinks were really tall. It was a tall yeah. glass of wine. But he was very much like the guy Smith that Nick was talking about. Mr. William Berry would smuggle liquor out of the bar. No, he'd smuggle liquor, if you understand what I mean. Like the acorn. <laughs> oh, no. That's a visual joke, folks. Was, You'll get it in a second. You will. If you'd like to send us an email, and many of you have, and we thank you very much over the past uh, four-plus seasons. We're in season five now. We want to thank you very much for visiting our website, which is what, Roy? It is nickandroy.com. www.nickandroy.com. What's in the mailbag? What's in the mailbag? I'll tell you what's in the mailbag. Margaret is in the mailbag. Boy, was my wife upset. (laughs) (laughs) You might want to let her out and let us some air, you know? I was like, what the hell is this? It's Margaret. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it down. Well, yeah, try to do a show here. I liked it better when she couldn't speak. But anyway, (laughs) Margaret from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I'm going up to Portsmouth, New Hampshire in a That's few That's right. And we'll have um, uh, files from Roy's road trip along the totally Maybe useless we'll talk to Martha. Uh, yeah. Margaret. Margaret, me. yeah. Either one. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone will do, yeah. Okay, so what did she say? She says, quote, unquote, and I like this one because it's just a really nice, this is how you picture people from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. <laughs> she says her whole family she loves the show and her whole family listens to the show. Then they talk about the show over dinner every Friday night. Oh, so they listen to the show on Thursday, each one of the family members. And then they listen that then they sit on Friday night at dinner and discuss the facts on the show. Oh, that's so cool. It's becoming a Friday tradition for them, along with fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all fi- which makes sense because we're kind of no, fishy. But what yeah. I was picturing is like, I'm not sure how old Margaret is because she doesn't say. So I'm, not, I'm, I'm figuring maybe her kids are teenagers or younger or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. But I'm picturing Friday at the thing after one of our episodes with sex in it. <laughs> I mean, what the hell are they talking about? Yeah. If it's useless and it has to do with sex, we're on it. No, I think that is so cool, Margaret. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That is great. I hope that other people do that. I think it would be fun because really, honestly, Nick and I were speaking about it during the week. People are telling us all the time that they're learning stuff from this show, which we're really happy about because we basically went through 40 40, 45 years of our lives learning absolutely nothing. That's right. <laughs> and we have proof of it every single day. We prove it every single day. That's what we say on our show, listen, laugh, and learn. And go to our website because you too can send us an email and maybe you'll be just as famous as Margaret is. Thank you, Margaret. And coming on our show, you're listening to Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy. And now for something completely useless. 
you have to squish between 600 and 800 grapes to get each bottle of wine, anywhere from three to 10 clusters of grapes, depending on the grapes, but vine spacing and row spacing and vintage conditions and the variety and age of grapes, there are many factors here, they all play a part in how many grapes you get from each acre. Vineyards usually produce anywhere between two and 10 tons per acre, though there have been higher and lower yields, but that's, you know, that range between two and 10 tons. So you have to count between 600 and 800 grapes to squish them for each bottle of wine you produce. How many? 800? 600 to 800 grapes. Whoa, that's a lot of grapes. It is, and you better wash your feet beforehand. Cool. All right. Now, we've talked about all kinds of great stuff here. We've talked about history. we talked about bra sizes. we talked about all <laughs> kinds of neat things. It's time for the news. And now, from around the corner and around the world, this is TUI News. This comes from Houston, Texas, so I'm sorry to disappoint you, Roy. It doesn't come from Florida, because usually but these news from around the world come from people Florida. People are getting offended here. Well, that's right. <laughs> this comes from Houston, Texas. If burglars were looking for cash at this popular hot chicken restaurant in the Heights, well, they're going to find out really early Sunday morning, on a Sunday morning, because the establishment was cashless. Signs what? outside. They the, had no cash? They had no cash. But in fact, here's the thing, though. This is how stupid these criminals were, these potential burglars. There were signs outside and on the door alerting customers that only credit cards are accepted as payment. No cash. <laughs> I'll take that uh, thing of napkins and a couple of cups of coffee. We decided, that, so the, the owner says, we decided back, back then when they had a food truck, actually, that we're not going to take another... Uh, they were not going to take cash anymore because it's too much of a hassle. So, and of course, with the pandemic and people weren't using cash, so it all worked out quite nicely. So when the crooks, they got in and they rummaged through their office not finding any cash. They were seen on surveillance video. They did steal a laptop, an iPad, and 15 cases of lemonade. Oh, wait. What? A laptop, an iPad. Well, you know what happened. Yes, when they yes. got there and didn't find cash, they said, when life gives you lemons, you, you <laughs> steal lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> now, wait a second. Now, was this a breakfast place, you said? It was a chicken joint. Oh, a chicken joint. I thought you said a breakfast place. I was going to say that's exciting. No, it wasn't <laughs> exciting at all. These guys flew the coop. Uh, <laughs> so, according to the owners, we know our lemonade is very popular, but we were surprised to see that was the target. So they yeah. estimate the loss of a couple of thousand dollars, but video shows the burglars broke in a window. They came, they came through. The, I think it might have been through the bathroom window. I'm not sure. You know, could you just imagine those guys in jail? What you in for? Beverage theft. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Stole 14 cases of lemonade. I'm bad. <laughs> well, that's all the time. Boy, this flew by really quickly. That's all the time we have for our first episode of season number five. Thank you for joining us. We will scour the internet and other sources to find useless information for you guys next week. So, in the meantime, you should tell everyone you know about this show. Go on Facebook, Twitter. Tell everyone about totally useless information. We really do appreciate it. I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. Thanks for listening. Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy is a production of NickAndRoy.com. Visit NickAndRoy.com 
to access the full library of episodes or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.